Hey everyone, welcome to Grace Community Church of Willow Street's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how to be more engaged with our church, check us out online at gccws.net, or you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy today's message, and we are praying that it leads you into a growing relationship with Jesus. Good morning, Grace Church. I was standing in the back here remembering that handshake of Pastor Will and felt some pain, but praise the Lord. Join me as we pray together. Our Father, we are grateful for the Supreme Court decision honoring life, a decision that was 50 years in the making. We're grateful, Lord, to come alongside a pro-life perspective, knowing that you value life from the womb through life to the tomb. We also think of the attendant issues related to abortion. We pray for healing for those women that have experienced abortion personally, Lord. We're grateful that their babies are in your arms. We pray for healing and restoration of the family members that were involved, the men and family members that surrounded the issue. We pray for resources to support unexpected and unplanned pregnancies, for pregnancy centers, for foster care, for adoption and adoptive families. Lord, we also pray for the states as they take on this issue now. We pray for civil discussion and honoring of life. We pray too, Lord, that we would be able to see all aspects of life with dignity. We even think of those with whom we disagree around this issue, that we'd be able to see an adamant pro-choice or pro-abortion person as made in your image, as an image bearer, and we'd be able to pray for them and come alongside in some winsome way. We're thankful, Lord, that your Holy Spirit is the one that can change how we think about issues of life. So we pray for single mothers. We pray for all aspects of life, those that are struggling with life's issues, with health, physical health, emotional issues, mental problems, developmental issues, Lord, the handicapped, the elderly, any of us that are grappling with life-dominating issues, we're, we're thankful that we can bring dignity, even as Jesus did, to each of these folks that are in the shadows of life. So, Lord, we, we, honor, we honor this true affirmation of life from the womb to the tomb. Lord, we're also grateful to be able to be part of this relocation of the mother from Afghanistan Lord, we pray you would encourage her as she tries to get used to a new culture, a new way of life. Lord, that you would meet all of the needs, give wisdom to the relocation committee, and help us to come alongside both here at Grace Brethren Church too, come alongside these two families in a very helpful way. We are grateful too for how you're bringing healing to to Will. I pray you would encourage him as he's at the, the rehab hospital right now. And so many other needs that are in our, in our congregation, Father. 
These needs remind us of our frailty before you and how we need to depend on you. So may our weaknesses drive us to our knees and acknowledge our need of you this day, Lord. We, we humbly ask, too, that you would speak through your servant as Pastor Mike brings the message. We're grateful, Lord, that we can stand on truth in a society that is relative and manufacturing truth, small t. We're grateful that we can build our life on affirming life. So, Lord, guide us this morning. Be glorified because of our time together. We're grateful that you have seen fit to minister in our midst as your Holy Spirit reaches each of us at our point of need, drawing us to yourself. And Lord, we look forward to what you're going to do in and through us. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So join me as we read James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Thank you very much, Pastor Steve. On July 4th, 1776, the unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America included these words. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created evil, equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, and that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. More than 3,200 years ago, in another declaration delivered to a people who had been freed from slavery, the man of God's choosing, Moses, boldly proclaimed, for the Lord your God is God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. And roughly 1,200 years ago, after Moses made his declaration, the Apostle Paul, speaking about the body of Christ, the church, wrote these words. Here there is no Greek or Jew, 
circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Paul was eloquently stating what the Apostle Peter powerfully learned in his own experience in Acts chapter 10. In Peter's own words, God does not show favoritism. God does not show favoritism. Can you say that with me? God does not show favoritism. There is a truth here that dates back to the very creation of mankind. It is foundational to our faith, central to the gospel of Jesus Christ, even foundational to the very founding of this nation. So it should be no surprise then that as we turn the pages of the book of James, we are confronted with this bold truth that is presented in James's no-nonsense style as he writes, my brothers and sisters, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Favoritism. What in the world does it mean? Well, in the original Greek of the New Testament, it is defined simply as making a judgment or distinction based on outward appearance. Don't make a judgment or distinction based on outward appearance. James is addressing this message as well as the entire book to a group of Christians who were active in their local church. These were men and women who loved to worship, as he says, the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. But they were also men and women who struggled with the insidious sin of favoritism. To those men and women and to every one of us, James, under inspiration of God's Holy Spirit, simply writes, don't show favoritism. Don't make judgments about people based on their outward appearance. Do not discriminate. Do not harbor prejudice in your heart. Show no bias toward men and women because of who they are or who you think they are. After all, the Lord, the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, and he shows no partiality. And so that raises the question, why should we? Why should we show partiality? To illustrate this point for his first century readers, in verses two through four of James two, James addresses what must have been a real problem in the early church because he, my goodness, he gives it like 13 verses here. And it's this problem of, of the distinction between the rich and the poor. And so he tells us about this occasion when uh, the rich man comes in the church and he is very obviously rich. He has a gold ring on, he has robes on. You know, people are saying, oh my word, do you know how much that costs? And, and so the ushers see this guy coming in and you know what they see? They see 10% of his income. That's what they see. They know that they're in a building campaign right now and oh my goodness, here comes the lead gift. So make sure you get the best seat possible. Tell Kyle to sit somewhere else. We need that seat, Kyle, because we got to bring the guy with the big gold ring in. And so then behind him comes a poor fellow, and he is dressed in shabby clothing. And you know what the usher says? <laughs> there's no money here. Just sit at my feet, or there's standing room only. And James tells that story. And he says, if this is how you treat folks at church, haven't you discriminated among yourselves and judged people on the basis of outward appearances? 
Now, James's question is actually very rhetorical. Doesn't require you to answer because for followers of Jesus Christ, the answer better well be obvious. Yes, you bet. You have discriminated. You have shown favoritism when God says don't show favoritism. Now, this scenario, along with James's commentary in James chapter 2, describes the destructive power of favoritism, the destructive power of discrimination, the destructive power of prejudice, the destructive power of bias. James's voice, this portion of Scripture, is a prophetic voice as he forthrightly and firmly explains how very dangerous it is to show favoritism. And this is what James says. This is simply a Bible study of what God in his word says. When you show favoritism, firstly, you are guilty of discrimination. You are guilty of discrimination. Now, discrimination in verse 4 literally means making distinctions among people where God has made no distinctions. Got that? Discrimination is when we make distinctions where God has made no distinctions. God is impartial to all, and he holds us to that standard. Discrimination in the Greek language actually carries with it, in its meaning, the, the concept of division or dividedness, which is exactly what happens when we discriminate among people. We create division. It divides groups of people. It divides communities. It divides our nation. It is dividing our nation. And it can also divide the church of Jesus Christ, and it will divide Christians. Now, earlier in the sermon, I described the sin of favoritism as insidious. And I love that word, but some people say, remind me what exactly that means. Here's what it means. It means treacherous, dangerous, divisive. The sin of favoritism, of discrimination, is treacherous, dangerous, and divisive. The isms, racism, is insidious. White supremacy is insidious, dangerous, and treacherous. White nationalism, and God help us when they add the glorious name of Jesus and call it white Christian nationalism, insidious, dangerous. Anti-Semitism, bigotry against Asian Americans, bigotry against Native Americans. None of these things are honoring to God. They are all sinful, deeply sinful, because they represent the very discrimination of which God says his followers should never participate in. Don't show favoritism, because when you show it, you discriminate. But secondly, look at what else the Word of God says. When we show favoritism, we stand in judgment. Look, if you have your Bibles open to James chapter 4, verse 12, where James writes, there is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy, but you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Listen, when we discriminate, 
When we play favorites, we essentially knock God off of the throne. We say, okay, Jesus, move over because I'm in control here. I know better than you. I want to draw some distinctions that you haven't drawn. Oh, my goodness, Jesus, have you missed this? And we are then participating in an aspect of judgment that is itself sinful. We usurp the rightful role and rule of God. Notice in verse 4 of James 2 that God views this way of thinking as evil. It's downright sinful and of the devil to discriminate and to show favoritism. And that reminds us, doesn't it, of some words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 and 2, when Jesus says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Here Jesus is saying, Don't be judges with evil thoughts. Now, I want to share one caution with you as we work our way through this passage. God is not advocating in James chapter 2 or Matthew chapter 7 that we ignore sin. I've learned that throughout my life, I will and should make distinctions about sinful behavior and whether I will allow those that I love to be subjected to sinful behavior. Who do I love? Well, I love my wife, I, I love my daughters, I love my family, I love my congregation. And so when we talk about judgment, one of the misnomers, one of the misapplications of Matthew chapter 7 is we just throw caution to the wind and we make no judgments whatsoever about sinful behavior. And that's not at all what the Bible is teaching. Isn't it interesting in, in James chapter 2 that James himself makes a judgment between sinful behavior and non-sinful behavior when he judges rich people, not because they're rich, but because of the sins of exploitation, of dragging people into courts unnecessarily, and also because of blaspheming the good name of God. And so James himself makes distinctions between sin and no sin. However, that is a sermon for another day. And so this is a 35-minute sermon, and nobody here came waiting for a 70-minute sermon, so we'll just let that be a sermon for another day. Understand this, that James's message in James 2 is about making distinctions based on outward appearances, not based on sin. And that leads to a third truth. And the third truth is when we show favoritism, we act like fools. We act like fools. Look at verses five through seven. Listen, my dear brothers, James writes, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom that he promised those who love him? But you, you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him whom you belong? Now, essentially what James is saying here is wake up, church. Can't you see what's happening? My goodness, you are bowing down. You are kowtowing. What does that mean? Anyway, you are kowtowing to the wealthy among you. You want their money. And so you will do whatever you need to to make them feel good and make them feel welcome to the ignorance, to the absolute, uh, uh, complete, total ignoring of the, the poor who are among you. Now, now, what you need to understand here 
is that, that James isn't saying that the poor are more holy than the rich. He's not saying that the rich are more sinful than the poor. It is true that in the early church, those who first came to Christ were people who didn't have a lot of life's goods, but the church grew as people came to Christ, both the rich and the poor. What he's saying here is, listen, the ground at the foot of the cross is level, amen? Rich or poor, it really doesn't matter. When a rich man comes to faith in Christ, Jesus is not in heaven saying, oh, we got a good one now. You know, he's not saying that. He is welcoming everyone into the kingdom of God. And what he's saying to the church that he was first writing this to is, open your eyes, church. You're so enamored with dollar signs with the outward appearance, oh my goodness, what can we get from these people that you aren't even noticing that they are exploiting you. They are blaspheming the name of God. Open your eyes and see that this is not the crowd that you want to align with. As I was writing this sermon, it reminded me of high school. Now that is a memory for me. And so when I go back, class of 1980, Penn Manor, anybody here? From class of 80 in Penn Manor? Well, I'll tell you what. Yeah, there we go, right here in the front row. We, got, yeah, we had them in the 8 o'clock service too. So, you know, in high school, think about this. Where a girl or a guy looks for friends from the in crowd so they can be part of the, you know, the in group that is admired and gets ahead in things. Often the in crowd isn't necessarily the nicest crowd. It may even be the wrong crowd. So why look for the in crowd? Because you have foolishly bought into the lie that outward appearances matter more than what's inside a man or a woman. And I want to tell you something. God would say, don't be a fool by showing favoritism. I want to go to a fourth truth. When we show favoritism, James also says we break the law. James says that we break the royal law found in scripture, the law of our Lord and King Jesus Christ. What is that law? Love your neighbor as yourself. It's first found in Leviticus chapter 19 and it's repeated many times in the scriptures but famously in Matthew chapter 22 by Jesus. James writes this, if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. And he adds two powerful footnotes. This is what James says. You realize, don't you, that if you break one law or you break 10 laws, you've broken the law of God. Okay, so here's the deal. Sometimes we like to grade sin, okay? And we like to say, here are the big sins. The big sins are adultery, murder. Those are the big sins. Favoritism, ah, that's not so bad. And what James says is, listen, you break one law, you've broken the law of God. And he goes on and he says, essentially favoritism is on the same list as adultery and murder. Just as his half-brother Jesus in Matthew 5 put anger and lust on the same list as murder and adultery. That's how serious favoritism is and discrimination and prejudice to the heart and in the eyes of God. Pastor Ken Hughes, who pastored at one time in Wheaton, Illinois, 
wrote a sermon on this particular passage, and this is what he said in his sermon. It may seem like James is making a big deal out of the rather common sin of favoritism. Everyone does it. But he isn't. For favoritism indicates the tilt of one's soul. Favoritism indicates the tilt of one's soul. Discrimination, prejudice, bias indicates the tilt of one's soul. So what should we do if we are guilty of favoritism? What should we do if we are guilty of favoritism? Are you ready? Here's the answer. Are you ready? Stop it. <laughs> Remember the sermon two, two weeks ago? The answer was run. Well, now the answer is stop. Whole different subject. Stop it. A Christian should not be known as one who plays favorites. We need to choose to live by a different standard than the standards of others in the culture where discrimination, prejudice, bias, and hear me, the act of canceling others, the act of canceling others is practiced because I don't agree with them. They don't agree with me. I don't like them. And we never even have a face-to-face -face conversation. We just make the decision based on the outward appearance. James offers, as he closes this passage in verses 12 through 13, a command, a warning, and a truth. The command he offers in verse 12, this is what he says, speak and act like a Christian should. A Christian is one who will be judged by the law that gives freedom. And what he's saying there is that there's gonna come a day when even though we are followers of Jesus Christ and we know that we are secure in heaven, there's gonna come a day when we will answer for our actions and our words. We'll be faced with the reality of some of those things that we've done, not for the judgment to hell, but the reality of a judgment of our words and actions. Speak and act in love in a way that shows who your king is. Speak and act in a way that people can see in you and hear from you Jesus Christ. Now that's the command. Here's the warning. Look at verse 13. James writes, judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. His warning is an ominous one. It's the same warning, however, that Jesus gave to the unmerciful servant in Matthew chapter 18. You might remember that story. Matthew chapter 18. And in that story, a servant was called before his master because it was time to repay the debt that he had incurred. The debt was enormous. And when the servant came before the master, the master said, I want it, I want it now. If you don't repay it, I will actually have you and everybody you know and everything you own sold. 
And the servant fell to his knees and cried out for mercy and, and asked for time. And do you know what the master did? He forgave the entire debt. Wiped it clean. Done, gone. It'd be like, you know, tomorrow morning, getting a mail, those of you who have a mortgage, getting in the mail a letter from your bank saying, you know, we had a meeting on Friday and just decided we love you, and so we're just gonna wipe your, your mortgage clean. You know, instead of raising interest rates, we're just gonna give it to you free. Wouldn't that be great? Most of you don't think so. I don't, okay, whatever. So, walks out from the master a free man. What does he do? He finds a fellow servant and remembers that his fellow servant owes him basically an equal to a happy meal. I mean, that's basically what it is. And I know that they've gone up in price, but they're not that much, okay? <laughs> not that much. Owes him a pittance, grabs him by the neck, says, I want you to repay it or else. And the, and, and the pay. Servant who can't repay it says, give me time. No, now or never. And the guy who has just been freed from an enormous debt, walking around like, oh my goodness, I don't have to worry about this ever again, refuses to demonstrate the same mercy toward his fellow servant who owed him next to nothing. And the master hears about this. And he faces that first servant and he says, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Everyone here, every one of us are recipients of the mercy of God the grace of Jesus Christ. I am nothing apart from him and what he has done. I am worthy of his wrath. I am worthy of his judgment. I am worthy of pain for my own sin. Except that God so loved the world. My goodness, friends, put your name in there. Let's do it right now. I'm gonna say God so loved, and you, you say your name. God so loved, oh, let's do it again. You can, you know, you know, everybody's listening. God so loved, yeah. That he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for your sins, to rise again on the third day, victory over sin and death and evil, and to offer to you, every one of you, Chad to you, Matt to you, Raymond to you, Donna to you, Megan to you, Lauren to you, Sarah to you, to you, Julia, to you, Don, to you, Kevin, to every one of you, to every one of you, the free gift of salvation, Ken, the forgiveness of sin, Cindy, a new and eternal life, Eric and Carrie, such that you can know that you know that you know that someday you will live forever with Jesus Christ in heaven. That's true, Eric. That's true. 
And that's all by the mercy of God. I've done nothing to deserve it. Nothing. And what God calls us to is the same mercy toward others that he has given to us. I don't ever want to hear my Father in heaven say, Mike, shouldn't you have shown mercy to him just as I showed to you? And then he ends. In verse 13, we began the service with the song inspired by this verse. He ends with this phrase, mercy triumphs over judgment. Say that with me. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You know what that means? It means that mercy triumphs over judgment. You were waking, waiting for profound, weren't you? All you got was me. So I'll tell you what it means. Mercy toward others is always best. I joked with the 8 o'clock service, but I'm serious when I say this. I try to have my sermons finished and ready by Thursday so that they can preach to me so that I can deal with the convicting power of the Holy Spirit of the Word in my life on Friday and on Saturday. So as much as possible, I'm not a hypocrite as I stand before you on Saturday night and Sunday. Because I don't preach anything I don't believe with all my heart. But I also don't preach anything that I'm not willing to bring myself under submission to. And here's what God says. Don't show favoritism. Don't show favoritism. The outward appearances, you don't know the heart. God doesn't show it. And so the question today is, do we? Do you? Do I? I want to ask you today as I close to do something really risky. And some of you are sitting there saying, oh no, I don't want to turn around and pray with the three people behind me. That's not what I'm going to ask you to do. <laughs> I've been around church long enough that I know some of you are like, oh, here we go. <laughs> I'm going to ask you to pray to your Father in heaven. And here's the risk. I'm going to ask you to do what I did when I came under conviction through this word. And it's simply this. Father, would you search my heart? Is there any favoritism in me that I am not seeing or not willing to see? It's a risky prayer because he will answer it. And you will have to then deal with what he says. But remember the way you deal with it. Do you remember the word? It's just one word. Stop. Let's pray right now. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Personal prayer. 
Father, search my heart. Is there any favoritism there? Or any that I've not been willing to admit? And just listen to what the Lord says to you. Jesus, thank you for hearing our prayers and thank you for the way in which you are even now answering and will answer throughout the day. One thing that occurred to me and I prayed about at the early service and prayed out again is that I think all of us know what it's like to be judged by others and to know that someone's standing in judgment over us. You kind of get it from the body language or the facial expressions or just the words spoken or the words that aren't. Lord, we don't want to be like that. We want to be people who follow you, Jesus, full of grace and truth and love. Not ignoring sin, but Lord, we know that this isn't about sin. This is about living life with people who just are different than us. Lord, help us to be men and women who, like you, do not show favoritism. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message and choosing to spend some time with us today. To get more information about Grace Community Church, our service times, and our location, check out our website at gccws.net.